Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, Trevor McDonald begins a new teaching series, The Road to Christmas. Today's message is titled, A Paranoid King. We are on this road today. I'm going to look at uh, just some different characters that maybe don't get highlighted enough when it comes to this Christmas story. Because we kind of know like Christmas main character uh, is is. Jesus. So, okay, so we got that out of the way. So, Jesus, main character. Maybe there's a co star. I don't know. Maybe it's Mary. I don't know. Mary, you know, uh, the mother of Jesus. That could be a nice little co star. Joseph is a kind of a big deal, you know, the, the, the dad in the picture. Today, though, I'm going to talk about this guy. He is, uh, he's a king. His name is Herod the Great. Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great, uh, we're going to find out a little bit here in a moment, uh, was, was crazy. He's absolutely bananas. And we're going to talk about it and kind of pull some things out that we can learn from his life and then contrasting it to another individual within the Christmas story. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. If you have the real thing, you get extra points in heaven. That's just what they told me. If you don't, it's fine. If you have the Glow Bible, which is basically just your phone, you can pull out the app. Or we have three Sky Bibles now. So we used to have only two, now we got three. So you can focus on. Thank you. A good shout out for our Sky Bibles, which basically just means the screens that are hung behind me. Okay. You guys ready? Are we good? Are we loosened up? Oh, yep. Amen. All right. Matthew 2, chapter 2, verse 1. Are we ready? Here it is. Now, I'm going 12 verses, so you guys got to hang with me. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 3 says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. The king heard this, uh, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, quick pause there on verse 3. i got to give a little bit of context. You can keep it on the screens here. King Herod, who would have been the king of Judea over that entire land, his actual working title was king of the Jews. This is something that he put upon himself that the people kind of put on him as well. He is the active king of the Jews, king of Judea. So when the Magi come, they're like, hey, we saw this star. We came to Judea. We just figured like, he's got to be here. Where's the king of the Jews? And, and Herod's response is like, huh, huh? that's my job. That's my title. There's no other king of the Jews. This is me. I hold this title as king of the Jews. So it says that King Herod would have been troubled by this news. And then it says, in all of Jerusalem as well. Now, here's some more context of why all of Jerusalem was troubled. It wasn't because they weren't expectant or excited for king of the Jews, meaning Jesus. It's because they knew King Herod was crazy. King Herod had a reputation to any time that his kingdom or his power or authority was threatened, that he would go to all lengths and have, at all costs, wipe out any empire or anybody that's trying to take his kingdom. He had a reputation of actually executing his own wife and children. Yeah, it's a Christmas story. I know it's getting a little weird in here, but lean in. This is Herod, king of the Jews, learning that there's another king of the Jews. You can imagine why he's troubled, and all Jerusalem is troubled because they're like, oh, goodness gracious, it's going to be genocide. It's going to be crazy. We're going to go to war. We know this guy Herod is nuts. So they're freaking out as we hear about this new baby who was born king of the Jews. Let's continue. So he, assembling, he assembles the chief priests and the scribes of all the people. 
He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written to the prophet, or by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse seven, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Yeah, sure. Verse nine, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their, uh, their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in, a, warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Okay, so here we have these magi who basically Herod sends out and says, hey, go out there and find out where this little baby is because I'm going to worship him whenever you find him, uh, i.e. I'm going to eliminate him from the planet because I am the rightful king of the Jews. This is Herod's entire mentality, right? How do I know that? Because we see this later in the story in Matthew 2, verse 16. It says this, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Okay, this is a wild and crazy king. We could all agree on that one, right? So the moment these magi come, they're looking for him, and he grabs the prophets of that day, those who would understand the Torah and the the prophets, and say, hey, uh, where is this baby, this king of the Jews, supposed to be born? They're like, oh, he's in Bethlehem. It's gonna be great. You're gonna love it. And he's like, awesome. Okay, so wise men, come on back. I need you to tell me where he's at so I'm going to basically eliminate him. This is a, this is a Christmas story. I know you wanna hear about all the good things of Jesus and we maybe have a nativity scene on the stage next week, but this week we're gonna talk about Herod, the road to Christmas, a paranoid king. A paranoid king. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for today. Thank you that we are able to come into a space like this and talk and hang and have coffee and meet new people and and worship you and and learn from your word and open it up and find out all these different details that maybe we haven't fully understood or grasped. And God, I pray that you would lead us to your son Jesus today, the hope of the world. I pray as we even leave this, uh, this room this afternoon that, God, we would walk out with, with more hope because we sat in a space where your spirit dwells. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. And I pray also that the Bears would win today. I know it might not happen, but it's fine. But I know you could do it. We believe in you. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. amen. If you said amen, that means you agree. Even if you're not a Bears fan, that was good. Oh, man. So Christmas is, is really fun, right? It's an exciting season. Maybe for you, maybe it's not. Maybe it brings up some some different memories that are good and not so good. Having two kids, we have two boys, they're nine and five, about to turn six, and in the younger years, if you've had kids, or if you have kids, you know, like, one and two, uh, Christmas means nothing, really. It's just kind of like, oh, there's shiny lights in the living room, because they know what a living room is, and uh, they're like, there's gifts under this tree. I have no idea what that means, but once they get to, like, three and four, for us, it was like, Oh, now we can kind of create our own traditions. We're really excited about that. So 
I remember when Parker might have been three or four, and Beckham would have been like one. We had all of our gifts, and they're pumped, and Parker had his whole, like, writing the note to Santa and having cookies, and then we ate them because whatever, you know, because that's what you do. And we're creating these little holiday traditions around our, our kids and our family, so Christmas morning is really exciting. I remember this one year, we had this huge uh, box for Parker. It had his name on it. This was his gift, and we bought him this massive, like, stuffed lion. We called him later Larry the Lion. You know, Larry, it's, it's clever. Larry the lion, two L's, you get it. Um, so Larry the lion was, was Parker's. He, he opened it up. He's excited. You know, he's four, so it's a brand new stuffed animal. He's hugging it. He's holding it. But then he had other gifts to open, so he begins to open some other gifts. Well, uh, unbeknownst to us, we see Beckham kind of like crawling over to Larry the lion. Now, Larry the lion is not Parker's. It's Beckham's. Why? Because he's like, oh, this is mine. And he starts holding Larry the lion. I'm not sure if Parker like really noticed or cared, but he was kind of like watching it, but he also had other things to do. But like Beckham was convinced that now Larry the lion was no longer Parker's toy or Parker's stuffed animal, but this was mine. This is mine. This is no one else's. I know it was written out to be yours, but I'm going to take it and I'm going to make it mine. And, and, and if you can relate a little bit, it's almost like if you go to a, a, go to a restaurant and you sit down with your friends, your family, and call me crazy, but this is maybe just how I am. You sit down and you order your food and drinks and whatever. You know the table next to you showed up about 10 or 15 minutes after you, but if they get their food before you do, something inside of you is like, hey, hey, I noticed something. Some of y'all in the back didn't do your job right. I was here first. That food is mine. There's something in all of us that gets maybe like furious or we're troubled or we'll get paranoid. We're like, hey, I've, I, I promise I was here first. Maybe they had reservations, whatever that even means. Whoever makes, makes reservations at Chili's is nuts. But for me, I really want my burger. I really want whatever. Like the, I order that thing. I don't even care if their, their, their meal was like a small little appetizer or just chips. I got a well-done steak in the back that you didn't bring out. It needs to be here because I got here first. There's something in all of us is like, hey, man, that was mine. That's mine. And we see this with Herod. We see his attitude and reflection. When the Magi come, what do they say? Hey, there's a king of the Jews. We, saw, we thought he would be here. Do you know where he's at? And he's like, excuse me, I'm standing right here. I am the king of the Jews. How dare you tell me that someone would come and take what is rightfully mine? That's my name. That's my power. That's my title. That's my authority. In a lot of ways, that's kind of how we can approach things, right? Like, no, 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 that's actually mine. Now, King Herod, like I said, he was crazy. He was paranoid to the point that he would execute his own family members just because if he ever felt threatened by any other kingdom or any other empire, he would just wipe them out. If there's a coup taking place within his family, he's like, well, here's one thing. I could just, you know, I could excommunicate them from the, from the empire or I could just kill them. This is just kind of what crazy, paranoid King Herod did. He also did a few other things in his reign. And for 37 years, he was over Judea. And for some of those years, you could say he kind of did some, quote, successful things. I don't know if that's, you know, how we want to do it. But he built the new temple and he built some other different building projects. And then he became incredibly paranoid, like I said, to the point where he actually built these massive fortresses all around Judea. Fortresses up to about six of them in the whole entire region of Judea so that he could hide out just in case there's anybody trying to come and take his kingship. He would hide in those fortresses so he could continue to keep his title and his, and his authority. One of these uh, fortresses was called, was called Masada. This is what Masada looked like back then. This is how 
large, this is how it looks now, but this is how large Masada was. This is one of the six fortresses. It was 450 meters in the sky overseeing the Dead Sea. That's 1,476 feet in the air. And it oversaw the Dead Sea. This is one of his fortresses. There's another picture. This is kind of like the rendering, what it would have looked like. And then the next one is just a model that was created. This was, look how high this thing is. This was his fortress, one of six. Just if he ever felt threatened, he could just go there and hide out. To contrast it, look at this. The Willis Tower in Chicago, the top of it, not the satellites, but the very top of the Willis Tower in Chicago is 1,450 feet. It's shorter than Masada. That's how tall Masada was, one of his fortresses where he would hide out. And then he can almost like observe over the Dead Sea. This is just the observation deck at the Willis Tower, and that's not even the top. This is what Herod would do. Herod building these fortresses, building these safe refuges so that he could hide out, all because no one's taken my title. No one's taken my authority. This is mine. And the moment I feel threatened, I don't care. I'll do whatever it takes to keep what is mine. Now, we can continue to pick on Herod because it's easy, right? We could see all the history. We could see what's in the story. He was a wild, crazy, paranoid king. And yet, here's my confession. I, too, build fortresses around my own life. Moments that if I feel paranoid or threatened, I will build fortresses around my own life. It may not be like Herod building out a stone and rock, but I'll build it in a way where you can't come into my area, what I've built. This is what I created. This is my thing. You don't get to take what is mine. And we begin to name things. This is my job, my title, my hurt, my pain. No one can walk into this space. We begin to create these little fortresses around our life where we begin to actually project our false persona on others, pretending to be someone that we're actually not. So we create these fortresses, and what are these? These are our hideouts. These are spaces in our lives, spaces in my life where I begin to create these little areas, and they become defense mechanisms. Fortresses, walls that I build up, because I don't want you in to see the true, real me. And what is this truly when it, comes boils, and when it boils down to? It's this fear, it's this insecurity. Whatever I can do to protect myself, I'm just gonna build these fortresses. For Herod, he's building these massive fortresses all so he can protect what he believes is his. I am the king of the Jews. I'm the rightful king. This is my kingdom. I'm gonna oversee like that observation deck photo. I'm gonna oversee my kingdom. This is what I created. This is what I built. Now, here's a little more history on Herod the Great. Herod the Great, he was an Edomite, being an Edomite means that he was a descendant of Esau. Esau would have been in the line of, you have Abraham, the father of our faith in Genesis, who then has Isaac, and then Isaac has two sons. Who is it? Jacob and Esau. Esau would have been the oldest son. He had the birthright. And there was a moment, you can read this in the book of Genesis, where Esau and Jacob, there's something that Jacob has. Jacob has this lentil soup, and Esau was out hunting And Esau comes in, and he's so desperate to take what was Jacob's, and he says, I'll give you anything to have that because it's mine. And he takes it from Jacob, which then he sells his birthright. And that is in the DNA all the way to Herod the Great, the Edomite king. He's not even a real Jew. He's a half-Jew, and they know this, that he's not even in line of 
the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's in the line of Esau, who then has this half-Israelite, half-Jew in him. His DNA is to take what is his. It is mine. He is a descendant of Esau, which is interesting because if you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob eventually comes to Judah, eventually comes to David, eventually comes to the messianic king, Jesus, who is the rightful king of the Jews. Esau, who is not the rightful king of the Jews, looks over and says, no, it's my name. I'm going to keep this thing. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure I hold the title king of the Jews forever. So he goes to the extreme by eliminating every two-year-old boy and younger out of Bethlehem. And we already know the story of Jesus. Jesus does retreat with his parents, Mary and Joseph. They retreat up to, up to Egypt so that Jesus isn't killed. God does cover him. But Herod had every intention to make sure he kept his name, kept his title, built those fortresses, did whatever it took so that he would be the rightful king. You could almost say he had these that type of attitude, that type of approach to almost like the way he even lived his life, it produced three different things in him. It produced a sense of hatefulness, paranoia, and a sense of always being threatened. He lived this idea of like hateful towards anybody, paranoid when anything was gonna come against him, threatened when anything was gonna happen to his thing, his kingdom, what he built. These are the three different things that he allowed happen. And you could almost say this was the road that he chose was to be this type of individual, this type of king, this type of leader. And this, in all of us, this idea of building fortresses and protecting ourselves, it's really truly the human condition. How do I know that? If we go all the way back into the book of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see the creation story. God creates humanity, Adam, out of the dust, and then Eve, eventually out of the rib of, 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 of Adam. And then they're walking in the Garden of Eden, in this perfect, beautiful paradise, and then what takes place? Sin enters into their world, and what happens? They begin to realize they're naked, and shame overtakes them, and what do they do? They build a fortress, and they cover themselves out of shame. And then it says God was walking through the garden looking for him. Found Adam. says, why are you hiding? He says, well, I was, I was afraid, so I hid I was afraid because I found out that I was naked. And God says these really interesting lines. He just simply says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you to put fortresses over yourself? Who told you to cover yourself up? You're meant to live in this sense of freedom with me. And our tendency, if we're really honest in a room like this, our tendency is to build fortresses out of fear and insecurity and being afraid. Our our tendency is to walk in paranoia and being threatened and even being hateful at times. When anybody else gets something that I wanted or that I believe I deserve, our knee-jerk reaction for the most part, maybe it's just me, is to be feeling threatened or paranoid or even potentially hateful. How dare they get what I want? Am I ever going to get what I want? So I live out of this idea of paranoia. Now, we can contrast this character, Herod the Great, or Herod the Paranoid, whatever you want to call him in this context, and contrast him with this other Christmas character named John the Baptist. John the Baptist would have been the cousin of Jesus. He was born six months uh, before Jesus was born. John the Baptist was prophesied as the voice in the wilderness, the forerunner of Jesus, the one that will shout and declare and proclaim, 
when Jesus, the Son of God, will come and be born. This was his role. This was his position. And we see this in John chapter 1. It's going to be on the screens. There's a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John's whole entire purpose was not to take on the glory of the position or the light. It was to show and point to the true light, which is Jesus. John chapter 1 continues on and says this. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? John confesses and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Let's just go ahead and lay that one out there. Herod the Great was like, hey, hey, no, 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 no. I'm the king of the Jews, and I'll do whatever it takes to keep that title. John the Baptist was like, no, I don't want that responsibility. I'm not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah, the prophet? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Are you the son of God? Are you the prophesied king? No, he says. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? This is a really key question, isn't it? What do you say about yourself? What do I say about myself? It's a great opportunity to be like, oh man, well, you know, I'm pretty darn important. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, I'm a big deal. So looking for some glory here. Herod was like, do you guys not know? Have you seen my kingdoms? Look what I built. I have a fortress as tall as the Willis Tower in Chicago, Illinois. That's probably not what he would have said, but let's just pretend. I'm a big deal. John just simply says, I'm just the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I'm the voice in the wilderness. I'm the one pointing to the light. It's almost like I don't, I don't have time to build fortresses to protect my own, my own thing and, 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 and my, own, my own title. No, 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 I have to live out in a way that just says, no, it's, it's him, it's his. I wanna celebrate that. And instead of like, like Herod, this idea of being hateful, paranoid, and threatened, you could contrast that in John the Baptist, the road that he chose would have been he was happy, he was proud, and he was thrilled. I'm happy to be in my position. I'm happy to do this. There was even times where John the Baptist would have had his own followers, his own disciples, and then once Jesus came on the scene, those disciples left John and went to start following Jesus, and he was asked, like, hey, doesn't this matter to you? You're losing followers. He's like, I don't care. John 3.30 says he must become more and more. I must become less and less. I know my job. It's not to hoard and keep what is mine. The whole concept is to make sure he gets all the glory. And to live a life that is pointing to even others saying, man, I'm happy for the individual. I'm proud of that person. I'm thrilled. Instead of happy and hateful or proud or paranoid or thrilled or threatened, man, I'm going to choose the latter. I'm going to choose the one that just says, I want to be someone who's happy, proud, and thrilled for other people. And how do you do this? How do you acquire these types of, of behaviors? How do you acquire some of these attributes Here's what I'm convinced of. And there's a few different things I'm sure we could talk about and we could have a great dialogue for the next couple hours. But here's what I believe. The way to acquire these 
few attributes is this. It's a disciplined pursuit of humility. A disciplined pursuit of humility. Here's what I mean. This idea of a pursuit of humility, the disciplined pursuit of humility. It's not just say, hey, let's go be humble. Yeah, that's a great message, Trev. See you next week. No, but for us, it's this idea of like this disciplined pursuit is to say the moment that someone gets what I want, the moment I want to say, that's actually mine. There's something in us that, dis- that the, the, the discipline clicks and we say, you know what? I want to be happy for that person. Instead of being angry or hateful or furious, you know what? I'm going to be thrilled. I'm proud of that individual. I'm proud of those people. I'm thrilled that they got what they desired or wanted. Whatever that may be, you have to fill in the blank. But there's these moments where all of us have it in us that when it, when it boils over to be either happy or hateful, proud or paranoid, thrilled or threatened, we choose which one it is. And at the root of all, that is a disciplined pursuit of humility. And we see, that, we see this with John the Baptist, that he knew who he was. He knew he was the voice in the wilderness. He knew that he was not going to build these fortresses to protect what was his it was to say, you know what? I'm happy to be in my role. The moment someone gets a promotion over me, oh, I'm proud. I'm just proud to be here. When your neighbor gets a new car and you've been wanting one for like, you know, the last 12 years, you're like, oh man, I'm thrilled. Even if it hurts to say it. <laughs> That's the disciplined pursuit of humility. That's the thing that in us is like, oh man, I'm thrilled for that person. I'm thrilled for those individuals. You know what? Even when it comes to people that you don't even like, How dare we become the people? How dare I become the person that's raging with jealousy and possessiveness? But instead, I I live empty-handed. I said, oh man, my whole job is to point to Jesus and the light and to celebrate and rejoice. Just like John, this is the road that he chose. Look what Jesus even says. This is in the book of Matthew about John. That's what he says about John. 11.11, Matthew 11.11 says this. This is Jesus' words. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Man, that idea of Jesus even singing his praises, being like, oh man, he, he lived a life that was like, no, this is, I'm not the Messiah. Hey man, you're losing followers. Oh, that's fine with me. I, I, they weren't mine in the first place. This idea of owning a kingdom, it was never my kingdom. He gave it to me anyways. He gave me this opportunity. I'm going to celebrate that, right? To pursue this discipline, act of an attribute of humility is be like, oh man, I want to be someone who's always just happy for others and proud to be a part of something or proud of other people, thrilled when they get what they want to get. That's awesome, man. What a great way to live because we see the contrary. We see the contrast. Who is that? Herod the Great. Crazy paranoid. Always feeling threatened building fortresses constantly just so he can keep his title, just so he can keep his power, just so he can keep his authority. What would it look like if you and I would become people who are just disciplined after this idea of humility, happy and proud and thrilled? That's what it says in Romans chapter five. It says, bless those who persecute you. (laughs) Bless those who persecute you. Bless those, bless and do not curse them. It's funny when you read this stuff, when you kind of like have conversations with people, it's so easy to get in like a group of people where you just start talking smack about other people. Then you read about this stuff, you're like, oh darn it, I'm supposed to like bless them. It's so much easier, feels so much better to curse them though. (laughs) Hey, this is real, this is the human condition, man. Like it feels good to be like, 
they're terrible. Yeah. And then you're like, no, they're great. <laughs> right? But it's like the simple verse. It's, oh, man, rejoice with those who rejoice. Okay. They got what I wanted. But you know what? I'm going to choose to rejoice with them. Weep with those who weep. I tell you right now, when those are weeping that you want to see weeping, you want to be rejoicing when they weep. <laughs> Come on. Right? But the Bible's strictly telling us, oh, man, no. When they're hurting, the discipline pursuit of humility says hurt with them. Don't rejoice when they're hurt. Don't rejoice when they're down. Even though it feels good in the moment, just like Herod, oh, it felt good in the moment until he lost everything. But when you choose this disciplined path of humility, this idea of rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping when they're weeping, hurting when they're hurting, that is the way of Jesus. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Romans 12, 14 through 18. Man, I read this a couple of weeks ago and I was like, oh man, I need to write this down and like put it on my mirror, in my car, on my hand. <laughs> Just a reminder, man, like, I want to rejoice with those who rejoice. I don't want to act like I'm wiser than others. I just want to like walk in this idea of peace with everybody. If I can, I'm going to pursue that. If I can't, then I did the best I could, right? This idea of being happy, not hateful, and proud, not paranoid, and thrilled, not threatened. This disciplined pursuit of humility. Can we do that? Can we become people like that? I'd invite you into this space, this, this concept, this idea that every single moment you have that unction to be like, oh man, I want to be angry. I, I want to be troubled and furious like Herod, but instead I'm going to choose the road that John chose and ultimately Jesus chose. But why is this so hard? It's hard because our society tells us the complete opposite. Hey, when you get that thing, the thing you wanted, keep it. Build a fortress around it. Don't let anybody touch it or look at it. It's yours. I know you took it from someone else. That's fine. It's yours now. <laughs> Like my son, it's like, hey, this is a cool line. Can I have it? No, it's fine. It's mine anyways. This idea of like mine. I had a roommate once that he would borrow my clothes and be like, hey, man, does that mean I could like borrow one of your sweaters or something? He's like, listen, Trev, what's yours is mine and mine is mine. I was like, huh, all right. Now he was kind of just joking, but that truly is our pursuit in life sometimes, isn't it? Where it's like, what's mine is mine. Man, what if we lived in a way that says, no, man, this was never mine in the first place. It was all his. He gave it to me. This is hard, isn't it? But this is the life that Jesus asked us to live. This is the last verse, Philippians. It says this, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Even though he knew he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Wild. But Jesus, he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. It continues and says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. This is the stuff that Jesus invites us into. Is it hard? Oh man, it's so difficult. But what is it? It's the disciplined pursuit of humility. Choosing to be a person unlike Herod. It's happy, not hateful. Proud, not paranoid. Thrilled, 
not threatened. As you think about people at your workspace, when your school, your neighborhood, family members, which one are we gonna choose? And every time, every time, oh man, it's like something comes over, he's like, no, no, no. I'm gonna have this pursuit, this disciplined pursuit of humility. I'm gonna choose to be happy, proud, thrilled. Unlike Herod, let me be that kind of person. Amen? You just gotta stand to your feet. Let me pray for us as we close. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for today. Thank you that we can come into a space like this and worship you and talk with one another and see one another, rejoice with one another and weep with one another. God, I pray that we'd be people that have this disciplined pursuit of humility. And Jesus, thank you for ultimately being the example. God, help us even in this season as we go to the road to Christmas to not choose the road of of hateful and, and paranoid and feeling threatened all the time. May our fortress walls come down and may we step into the person that, God, you're calling us to be, people who are joyful, filled with happiness proud of other people, thrilled for people. God, help us to choose those areas in every day of our life. God, thank you. Show us even this week. Show us even starting tomorrow areas we can put these words into work, put it into practice. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You've been listening to Trevor McDonald with the message, A Paranoid King, which is part one of the series, The Road to Christmas. Thanks for listening.